0: your Bible, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Talked to my eye doctor this week about how I can keep my eyes from running all the time and apparently we don't know how to do that, so uh, you'll forgive me for uh, if I have to wipe my eyes. Sometimes I can't read the text because there's too many much water there so just bear with my weakness. We're in Matthew 11, uh, 7 to 15 is where we want to focus this morning. Matthew chapter 11, 7 to 15 is uh, what we're going to read. hope you have your Bible with you <clears throat> so we can share that together. Let me begin by asking these questions, okay? Well, what does God have to do to get us to listen to him? Now I mean for you to think about that on an individual basis, Okay. What does God have to do to me to get me to listen to what God has to say? Is it difficult for him? Is it hard for him to to get us to listen? Or are we those that we hear it, we do it, we say, I'm going to live that way, and you don't have to tell me twice. Well, the question is, what does God have to do to get us to listen? And then you can make that a corporate thing. What does he have to do to get our church to listen to him? What does he have to do to get the church in America to listen to him? And it just goes on and on. What does Jesus have to do to be understood and accepted as the promised Messiah. Now, that's another issue, because there's lots of people in the world that reject Jesus as Messiah, say, you are not the Messiah of the world. I have a relative in my family that's Jewish, and they will not hear about Jesus. They don't want to talk about Jesus. He's not the Messiah. He's a fake. He's a fraud. And there's nothing that we can say to change their mind. I don't uh, think that I'm ever going to have that problem. I'm sure I won't. But uh, there are people out there who will not accept and will not understand all these things that Jesus did to prove that he was the Messiah, and it just goes right over their head, and they don't really care, and that's hard for me to, to understand. Fifteen, <laughs> <coughs> fifteen times, age of age of age. I try to have a manly voice, and it just doesn't work so much. Listen, I spent four and a half hours under a a Jeep Cherokee this week in my driveway helping my son put in uh, motor mounts and all that fresh air has really caused a problem. So let's go ahead and move on. All right, 15 times. In the New Testament, Jesus, or the Spirit of God, said to people this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what, we hear lots of stuff every day that we don't pay attention to. Have you ever been talking to somebody? You've gone on for some time, and then you just hit them with a "What do you think about that?" And you know, from the look on their face, they don't even know face. They don't even know what you've said, and they say, "I'm sorry, I, I drifted off. Would you tell me what what it was again?" You know. And so that's irritating. But Jesus said people treated him like that. But he calls on others to listen. If you hear, if you have ears to hear, in other words, if your ears are the kind that really hear, then I want you to I want you to hear what I'm saying. Now, hearing Jesus means something special, and what it means is this. If I say I hear Jesus and I don't do what he says to do, the Bible says you didn't hear Jesus. If I hear the words and I don't do them, I didn't hear according to the Bible. If I hear the words and I do them, Jesus would say you did hear because you did. So Jesus knows this is a problem, and he said it a number of times. He knows that there are those who will hear and those who will not hear him. Everybody hears the noise, but not everybody does what Jesus says to do. They represent two kinds of ears in the world. To hear Jesus is not only to hear the vocalization of what he says and hear through the written text from his mouth, but not do what the vocalizations direct us to do. That's a problem. Jesus wants us to be those that once we figure out what's the right thing to do and what God says, we do it. And that's what, that's what he's concerned about. In the New Testament, someone is only credited with hearing if that person acts on what they heard. If somebody yelled, there's a tornado coming towards your house, and you said, hey, thanks, appreciate that news, you know, I've got some TV to watch, which happened to one of my neighbors. And I went over to his house, and I said, there's a tornado coming. It's been on the radio, and he's watching TV. He's no longer with us. He's watching TV in the front room. I'm beating on his glass on his, his front window because he can't hear me. And he finally looks up and sees me, you know, my neighbor, he sees me beating on his glass. And I said, they said there's a tornado coming. Now, that never happened. It kind of went down by the lumber yard, if I remember right. But anyway, he said, don't worry about it. We are, we're on, this whole town's built on an Indian burial ground, and we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> okay. And so he we went back in and watched TV. I went home, went in the basement. And turned out it did hit on the south side of town a little bit more. Um, what, is, what, what does it mean if you say, well, don't worry about it because we're, we're on an Indian burial ground? Number one, the Indians are mad at us. And number two, what it says is, uh, you believe in superstition. We don't believe in superstition. Uh, and I know people that have said nothing's going to happen, and it happened. You need to do what, what you hear you should do in a lot of areas of life. Those who act on what was heard and, and they believed it, what was said, they did something about it. And today, Jesus is going to warn people that they must take John the baptizer seriously. Why bring that up now? Well, because last week we find out, John in prison sent some people to go ask the Lord, hey, are you really the Messiah or are we supposed to be looking for someone else? Now, you could tend to think down on John because of that question. It's a real question. It was very sincere. Jesus answered it. Now, Jesus, lest people get the wrong idea about John the baptizer, he says, listen, uh, let me tell you who this guy is. And that's what he's going to do because he needs to be taken seriously. God is working right before these people's eyes. And they go back and they tell John the truth. We not only heard what he said, we saw what he did. And uh, John was okay with that. I I believe the text doesn't say what the report was received as, but I'm sure he was. But did they not also recognize it when they see it? Not always. Not always. Not always. Funny how we can read about these miracles that Jesus does in the text and walk away like one man told me and say, ah, that didn't happen. That's just a story. This is not just a story. This is not just made up. This is the word of God. And if Jesus said it happened, it happened. If Jesus said he did it, he did it. And we need to recognize it. Today you will hear the vocalizations of the word of God. And the question is, what will you do with what Jesus says. What are you gonna do with what Jesus says? By the way, that's the point every time we sit and and read the word of God and study it. What are you gonna do with this? And so let's see what Jesus has to say today. Starting in verse seven of Matthew 11, I'm reading from the New American. Verse seven says this, and as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Okay, people, people flocked out in the wilderness to see John the Baptist. Jesus says, what would you go out there for? What did you expect to see out in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? Verse 8. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft, soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? Now, that's the third time he said that. And here we get the positive answer. You went out to see a prophet? Yes a prophet, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. Now, we're pretty enthralled with all the prophets that we have. Isaiah would be a great guy to know. Jeremiah, you know, Haggai, all these great prophets, Zechariah, Zephaniah, wonderful prophets. Uh, But Jesus said, when you went to see John the Baptist, you went to see someone who was more than just your run-of-the-mill biblical prophet. Verse 10, this is the one whom it is written about, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus said, when you talk about John the baptizer, he is the guy that God sent ahead of me, the Messiah, to prepare the way for people to trust me. Verse 11, truly I say to you among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now that's saying a lot. My favorite prophet was Jeremiah. I'm all about Jeremiah. I love the prophet Jeremiah. He is great. And Jesus said, John the Baptist is greater than him. My prophet prophesied over 45 years. John barely made it three. How can he be greater? But that's what Jesus says. So we accept it. Well, we need to find out why. No one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least, smallest, uh, the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. 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 Someday, all of us, when we get to heaven, everybody can say, I am greater now than John the Baptist ever was in his ministry on earth. He's not saying that John the Baptist in heaven isn't great. He's saying you're greater than he was when he was down on earth. That's, that says a lot. Anyway, verse, uh, for verse 12, I think I'm at. For the days of John the Baptist until now, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. He's talking about false teachers and false prophets. And the religious leaders are saying things about the, the gospel that aren't true. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself, he means John the baptizer, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Now we know physically he wasn't Elijah, so what does the Lord mean? We'll talk about that. And then Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, do something about what you just learned in terms of John the baptizer. All right, let's break it down go back. In verses 7 through 11, uh, I want us to learn this, that uh, Jesus is saying, you will be greater than John is now, I mean his current condition in prison as a prophet of God on earth. Uh, You will be greater than John is now by listening to him, John, and entering the kingdom. You will be greater than John the Baptist was on earth when you're in heaven. And you'll get that way if you listen to what John has to say. What did John have to say? Repent and be saved. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John was saying all the time. He wanted them to come to faith in Christ, in the Messiah. And that's the one he was preparing the way for. And Jesus says, you think John's great? you'll be greater in heaven than John is here. Now, I didn't say John would be less than you in heaven. He just said, when we come to heaven, you look at John the baptizer's ministry and how great he was in the kingdom, you'll be greater than that when you get to the kingdom of God. Some disciples of John, they came with a question John sent them with from prison. We learned about that last time. Who Jesus really is. They they want to know John's wondering, are, are you the guy we're supposed to be following? Are you the man? Was he the Messiah? All people are looking for or should they look for another? We went through that. Jesus told the disciples of John to go tell him that he indeed is the Messiah and tell them, them all, tell John when you get back, what you saw and what you heard. And what they heard was the truth of God and what they saw were miracles of God. Wouldn't that have been great to see that? John's disciples left now. Jesus addresses those who heard the exchange with the truth about who John is. Lest someone in the crowd think less than John the Baptist because of his question, Jesus tells us who and what John really was. And sometimes you ask somebody, well, who's John the Baptist? Well, he went around and preached the gospel and he baptized people. That's who he was. Jesus says, then you don't understand John. There's more to him than that. So in verse 7, our Lord asked the people what they went out into the wilderness to see when they went out to see John. Why did all you people go out there? And he asked that question three times, twice in verse 7 and once in verse 8. What is it about John that everybody wants to go see him? What are you guys doing out there? Why'd you go? And this sets us up for a proper recognition, uh, biblically, of the reality of John's character character and calling him, uh, uh, his calling by God. Everyone held him to be a prophet of Yahweh. Everyone held him to be a man of God. What kind of a man was John? That's the issue. Well, Jesus asked that question in verse seven, "Was John like a reed? Was John like a reed? He's talking about the plant, a reed. Is that what John was like? Uh, turn back, if you would, to first kings 14. First Second Samuel first second Kings, chapter 14. And of course, these verses are in your bulletin for you. <clears throat> And verse 15, now my point here is, this is where we get a description biblically of what is a reed. All right, because people, you know, did you go out to see a reed? Well, I don't know, what's a reed? For Yahweh, in verse 15, for Yahweh will strike Israel as a reed is stricken in the water, and he will uproot Israel from his good land, which he gave to their fathers, and he will scatter them uh, beyond the Euphrates River, because they have made the Asherim, a false god, uh, provoking Yahweh to anger. So this reed is this thing. It's not substantial. It shakes in the wind. You can uproot it easily. And he wants to know, is that what you went out to see in the wilderness? Some guy just blowing in the wind, not really substantial. And by the way, that was that passage we read was in the area of uh, judgment. Maybe they thought, well, John, look at him. He he doesn't dress well. He doesn't eat well. He lives out in the desert, kind of like an animal. I don't know where he sleeps, but it's not any place nice. And Maybe God's judgment's on him because the other religious teachers that we have, they're in town. They have the better houses on the other side of the valley on the west side of the, of the Temple Mount. They have mansions up there. They wear the best robes. They're always dressed well. They always eat well. They don't smell bad like John does. So maybe God's judging him. I don't know if that's the extension they took on that, but it could be. This sets us up for a proper recognition of the reality of John's character and calling from God. And he says that he's a prophet. And Jesus says, did you go out to see somebody shaken in the wind? Was was he one that would vacillate with what he said? Was he wishy-washy? Did he waver? Did he totter? Did he move to and fro with every wind that blew? And the answer is no, he did not. He stood firm on his message. Firmer than anybody else in the religious community was doing. And the fact that he lived out in the wilderness is a good thing. Because it meant some things about John that we want to know. Uh, some years ago, I was in, a, in our, uh, one of our churches in Kansas City, and we were at the district conference. And uh, it, w- it would have been before 2008. And that's when the uh, denomination decided they wanted to bring in a new doctrinal statement. And part of the issue with that new doctrinal statement was somebody was trying to get the, uh, the whole conference to vote on opening up the churches to all millennialism. Now, you, if you don't know me, I am a pre tribulational, premillennial guy. I don't like amillennialism, right? And uh, back in those days, I was taking a stand as the director of theology and credentialing for Kansas and Nebraska against letting them put that in the doctrinal statement. I didn't want it to change from premillennialism. And so uh, I went to this conference. It was going to be discussed there and debated there. And two of my pastor friends, uh, that would have been Hod Bolches and Dieter Rademacher were there, and we were standing in the back before the session began around this table, and they were on one side and I was on the other. And they asked me this question, all right, where are you standing? <laughs> what? I know you guys better than anybody else. You know me, and you know how calm and easy I am about these kind of things, and I don't like to mess, mix it up with people, but I said... How can you even ask me that question? I've written articles against this. I've talked about it at meetings. I've shown up at meetings that were against this. I probably went on for five minutes, and when I was done, they knew where I stood. And then they were giggling back and forth with each other. And I thought, well, what's the giggle for? I said, what's up with you guys? He said, Dieter said, well, my question was, where are you staying? The answer was, well, down the street here in the motel, where you guys, guys stay. <laughs> Why didn't you stop me? They said, because you're so good at it. I, just, uh, I was taking a stand is the point, right? And nobody was going to, how dare you question whether I'm taking a stand or not? You know better than that. And I think I was, I don't remember what motel we were staying in, Super 8, something like that. But anyway, there we were. John was the kind of man that you knew where he stood. Despite the question John asked, John was no reed that gives way to the wind. Jesus expects a no answer from the crowd. Is that why you went out to see? No. This guy had a reputation. It wasn't for waving with doctrine. In verse eight, did they travel out in the wilderness to see a man dressed in soft clothing, the type that belongs to King? Answer again is no. That is not why they went out to see him. You didn't go out to see John because he was the best-dressed prophet you'd ever met. Is John a man given to fine things in life, including a life of luxury? Well, uh, let's go back to Matthew 3 in verse 4. Here's how John dressed. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair. I don't know if that's like wool, but it just sounds itchy a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts, which from my word studies means grasshopper-type locusts, and wild honey. Now, if you go to the king's palace and you ask to see the uh, religious leaders, say the prophets of the king, they don't look like this. Not at all. So what's happening there? Is, is he at all, is John at all concerned about his own comfort? Not John, uh uh-uh. Men like John did not live in king's palaces. Neither does he have to deal with the king's paycheck for survival. You understand that kings in the ancient world had prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear on their payroll. And this man's prophecy was not for sale. John had something real to offer. Remember Ahab? Ahab? First Kings twenty two. He and Jehoshaphat are going to go up to war, and he calls all of his prophets, four hundred of them. And they said, "Shall we go up against our enemy?" And all the prophets said, "Yes." The spirit of God is saying, "Yes." All four hundred. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we do. And Jehoshaphat realizes <laughs> these guys are on the. They're on the tab here. They're getting paid. And so he asked Ahab, do you happen to have a a servant of Yahweh here, a prophet of Yahweh, where we can inquire of Yahweh? See, Jehoshaphat, if he knew that much, he knew he shouldn't have been with Ahab in the first place. You don't make an alliance with a pagan. And so he he goes, and he gets Micaiah, and Micaiah is coming, and this guy that gets him says, hey, uh, before we get there, just so you know, All the other prophets, 400 of them, are saying the king is going to have success and go up. Oh, really? Okay. So he gets there, and Ahab asks him, what shall we do? What does the Lord say? He says, yeah, go up, no problem. And Ahab gets furious with him and says, how many times do I have to tell you? Speak the truth to me in God's word, in God's name. (laughs) You want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. God gave me a vision, and in heaven I saw the armies of Israel scattered on the mountains, and you yourself will be killed in this battle. Ahab was so angry because he didn't have this guy on, on the uh, payroll, and he didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. He threw him in prison. He said, if I don't come back in one piece, then you're going to rot in prison. John the Baptist was like that. He's not on anybody's payroll. In fact, the reason that he was, had his head cut off is because of a king a pagan king who uh, gave a favor to his wife's daughter and they cut John's head off. And it didn't bother John at all that he would tell this guy he's in sin because his marriage was illegal according to the Bible. Not that Herod really cared, but it was. He is currently in prison for accusing uh, Herod, the uh, guy who was a small king in his area, tetrarch, of immorality because he married his brother's wife, Herodias. And John said, that's not legal. That's not lawful. Herodias didn't like it, so they threw John in prison. Now Herod didn't know what to do with John because everybody likes him. Everybody knows he's a prophet, so i got to be careful with this guy. And so uh, Herodias uh, just kind of tricks him into uh, a situation. And anyway, the point is Jesus was not describing a man that they went out to who was wearing fine clothes was on the king's payroll and would say whatever the king wanted to say instead of the king. John will have none of that. None of that. And that's the way preachers are supposed to be today but they're not. And people are not telling the truth of the Word of God from pulpits around the globe and people are not hearing the truth and people are gonna end up in hell because they didn't hear the truth And because they thought they could get to heaven by doing good works, which is not the truth. And I don't have much tolerance for that. I hope you don't either. In verse 9, so Jesus continues, They went out in the wilderness to see a man who was a prophet. And in the wilderness he was unscathed by the blind and irreverent religious leaders who wanted to curry the favor of the king so they could keep their position and continue to be wealthy from the giving of people. He had no elite religious fraternity that he had to impress. He was not worried about what the religious leaders thought about him, and he certainly could care less whether he uh, would get his doctoral dissertation uh, passed by those, those jokers. He didn't really write one, but he didn't care. He served God with his mission. Jesus confirms that John was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. How is John more than a prophet? There were many great prophets. Well, a couple of things. Talks about him. Let's look at Malachi in the Old Testament, last book there in the Old Testament, chapter 3 and verse 1. This is about John the Baptist in the Old Testament, 400 years before he even got here. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. And he will clear the way from before me, or before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, (coughs) there we go again, (coughs) excuse me, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. Now, how do we know that's about John? Because Jesus says it is. Let me read one more from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, if you want to go there with me. Say hi to Jeremiah when you pass him. Okay, so we're in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Uh, We learn that this is also about John. A voice is calling. Clear the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. See, John was predicted in the Old Testament as a man of ministry, clearing the way a very special ministry for Jesus Christ. Many prophets had prophesied about Messiah, but John had been sent to clear the way for him and to prepare people's hearts for repentance. He was to prepare their hearts to say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I trust in you for my my salvation. That's what he was trying to do. He said uh, to people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of your sins. He was preparing their hearts so Jesus would have uh, some people that are already prepared when he came with his ministry to trust him as Savior. God foretold this man and this ministry, but many were blind to the fact that he was there and he was the one promised to come. You know why? Because they didn't know their Bibles very well. Maybe they uh, heard from a rabbi that always did topical messages. He never talked about what does the Bible actually say all over the place. And uh, that's why it's important for us here. Let's look at John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. Because uh, the leaders, the religious leaders are curious, who's this guy in the wilderness that everybody's going out to see? So in verse 19 of John 1, it says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he, that is John the baptizer, confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's where uh, we get our other passage from the Old Testament we just read. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness from Isaiah Make straight the way of Yahweh, as Isaiah the prophet prophesied. Huh. I don't know if he looked up and said this, but he could have looked up and said, did you guys never read that? You know what the Bible says? You're not acting like it. I don't know if John said that or not, but he could have. He is a messenger of God who is specifically sent to prepare the hearts of people for Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, was there too. So the crowd listens. Jesus is making a critical point about who this man is. He is something special from God. If he is from God, what should that mean for us? If John the Baptist really was from God, what does that mean for us? It means we should listen to what he says and and do what he tells us to do. In verse 11, no one raised up by God for his work, that means God's work, is greater than John in his ministry. The answer to the question about who is the greatest of the prophets is not Jeremiah, unfortunately. It's John. That's what Jesus said. That includes prophets like Moses, Isaiah, Haggai, Ezekiel, David, and every other one. Greater than them all. Well, What's so great about John? Good question. He was no reed, nor was he a prophet for hire. He was no coward. Who's was not some king's yes man. He had one purpose, and he lived it every day of his entire ministry. One purpose. You never would find John not doing his ministry, ever. He had no earthly distractions. Only the Messiah was his singular passion, like those guys with those Acha Indians when they speared them through. He never swayed at all from his ministry. He called all to repentance, even Herod, who would have his head taken off because of a dancing girl. He called all to repentance and preparation according to the Messiah of God and his ministry that he was giving John the Baptist. He did it. He identified for people who the Messiah was. He was not fearful of the authorities who needed his message. And you know what that may tell us? It may tell us that John sent his disciples to ask the question who Jesus is, not really for his sake, but for the disciples' sake. Why is our master in prison when we expect him to be uh, you know, one of the greatest guys in, in the in the whole kingdom of Jesus Christ? I don't know. It could have happened that way. Maybe it wasn't for John in the first place. John said, go ask him, are you the one? At least they picked up that message he is. He was not fearful of the authorities who needed his message. He lost his head because Herod... Uh, said something ignorant uh, that uh, uh, he did after this girl did this dance and she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Verse 11b, in terms of the kingdom of heaven, even the most insignificant person in heaven will be considered greater than John was in his ministry for the kingdom on earth. you get that? He is not saying that you'll be greater than John the Baptist in uh, your rewards when you get to heaven. He's saying the least person in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, that is with God right now, is greater right now than John was in his ministry. And John was great in his ministry. It just amazes me how much reward God has waiting for us. All we have to do is obey him. All we have to do is do what he wants us to do. And we're those kind of people. One of the commentators uh, said, Dr. Uh, Keener, trying to figure out this thing about how are people greater than John. He says, John's role was great because of the greatness of the one he introduced. If disciples of the kingdom have a greater role than John, it is not because they are more devout than he was. It's because we proclaim a fuller message of the kingdom than John could have, for we can look back and understand uh, what John did not understand at the time he means the kingdom is not only future, but it was present in Jesus. And he says back in verse 12. Now, I disagree. That's not what Jesus said. John himself was a member of the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus was saying that all those in God's kingdom are greater than the greatest prophet on earth was, not that the disciples, because they knew more, were actually greater than John. That's not what the text says. It says John's the greatest not uh, not that all those who know more than John is greater than John I don't think that's the case being a member of the kingdom means everything in life the life to come being eternal is more important than this life so be careful of the decisions you make about Jesus and that's what we should learn about John the Baptist one of the things John is the climactic point of the law and the prophets and As such, he has led us to Jesus. And Jesus says he's the greatest of the prophets. Then finally in verses 12 to 14, the kingdom is not for people to force their way into it. The kingdom is not for people to force their way in. Now, we've got to talk about the religious leaders here because they're trying to force their way in. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. He's talking about people who do not share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lead people the wrong way, take them down the wrong path, and those people are, are guilty of the blood of the saints. They're trying to rob their way into the kingdom. and They're trying to get other people to do it too, like saying things like good works to get you into heaven. No, they don't. The religious leaders have made up a works salvation, and they still do that today. And they're trying to get into the kingdom by going around God's chosen vessel of salvation, Jesus Christ. That's what the rabbis were doing all the time and the scribes. Let's find a way around Jesus. He's not the one. Let's go around him and find true salvation. And yet Paul said you can only have salvation if you go through Jesus Christ. Not over him, not under him, not around him, but through Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he is the, he is the, gate, he is the gate to the sheepfold, if you will. You don't go through that gate, you're just a robber and a thief that's trying to get over the wall. And that's not going to get you there. These are people who try to gain a position by force, not by faith. These violent men are not the kind to be telling us about access to the kingdom. In verse 13, the witness of all the prophets and the law of God is consistent with the message of John. The way they proclaim the, the way of salvation is consistent from the beginning. If I were to ask somebody on the street, how did the Old Testament person get into heaven? They would tell me by doing the sacrifices. And I'd have to say, no, that is not biblically correct. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. How did they get saved in the Old Testament? Well, we go to, we go to Abraham. In Genesis 15, 6, and it says, And Abraham believed God, and God counted it unto him as Righteousness. That was before the law of God was even given. You're not saved by doing the works of the law. You're not saved by those sacrifices. It's your faith in God that gives any value to the sacrifice at all. And by the way, God isn't going to really give you any extra credit if you thought you'd go to church and get into heaven or do some religious act and get into heaven. Uh Uh-uh. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. The way the prophets proclaim was by faith, that's what John's proclaiming. And Jesus says in verse 14, because they are not the people that he's talking about in verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus is is gonna say to them, and if you are willing to accept it, why wouldn't I accept it if God says it? Well, people don't. Just quickly and, uh, i I got a little time. Uh, Let's go to Malachi chapter four again. such a short book, he's easy to get right past, huh? Malachi 4, 5, and 6. This is the the prophecy about Elijah from the Old Testament, some 400 years before uh, Jesus showed up on, on the planet. God says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's the tribulation. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In other words, the ministry of Elijah is to keep people from suffering judgment because they did not accept, uh, here in this case, Jesus Christ. So the theme around the coming of Elijah is one of judgment on the sinner. It is further to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. That's what he meant by the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. John warned of the coming judgment. That's what Elijah did in, in, in Elijah's spirit, and that's what John did. He said in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Matthew, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, people Jesus called snakes for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? <laughs> See, John John didn't pull any punches for anybody. John warned of the coming. John called people to repentance and faith. How was this man then, as Jesus said, Elijah? Well, in this sense, okay? Um, There's another man who asked for a double spirit of Elijah. He got it, and his name was Elisha. John has something to do with the spirit of Elisha. In other words, the kind of man that he is and what he does. And Luke,